0: Hey Kyle here. Back in the gold rush days of the wild, wild west, there was a man who heard about the riches that were being found and struck and mining for gold out on the western frontier. This man invited R. Darby out to mine for gold. R. Darby came west to Colorado in the great gold rush. He found a very rich vein. He convinced all of his friends and relatives to invest About the time the investments were repaid, the gold vein ran out. He continued to dig to find the vein again, and until they were deeply in debt, he and his uncle were in partnership with this together. And discouraged because he couldn't refine that vein, he sold the claim and equipment to a junk dealer in Denver for a few hundred dollars. The junk dealer hired a geologist to examine the mine and was told that if they dug just three feet further, they would find the same vein of gold. The junk dealer became the richest man in Colorado. I think that many times we are guilty of giving up too soon. Our Darby and his partners gave up too soon. I thought that Paul begins back in Colossians 2, comes to completion, and is brought to its fullness in today's passage, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. The substance of Jesus changes our life so that our life embodies that of Jesus. Paul says the Colossian believers are to devote themselves in prayer. They aren't to give up in prayer. And devotion and prayer is a formative process through time apportioned to prayer, disciplined practice over time, and a commitment to prayer as central for the Christian life. The reminder that we should pray more almost probably falls on deaf ears. Even for the person who is skeptical about the effectiveness of prayer, the outcome is the same. Over time, less prayer. I know right now you're probably thinking, is this whole message going to be about guilting me into praying more? I already know if I'm a Christian that I should pray more and I don't pray as much as I should. But Paul challenges these Colossian believers to devote themselves to prayer because he knows that it will align their hearts with God's heart. And his motive for calling them and devoting them to prayer is not because it's going to make them more spiritual or because it's going to make them better Christians or followers of Jesus. Paul's call for them to prayer is because it aligns their hearts with God's heart and God's heart is for those who are outside his family. Paul wants them to devote themselves to prayer and to do so by guarding that prayer life in thanksgiving. Sometimes we give up in praying because our prayers are continual asks and not recognition that God has answered some prior prayers. When you guard your prayer with thanksgiving, when a habit and part of your prayer in praying to God is thankfulness for what he has done and who he is and how he has changed us, we will persevere in prayer. And so here's right now, right off the top, what I want you to do. Find your phone or grab a piece of paper and make a list of requests, prayer requests to God. Maybe that's on your phone, on a piece of paper. Maybe you've got a journal that that you regularly journal in. Go to either the front or the back page and begin to write out some prayer requests. Write them down so that when you revisit those prayer requests, you can mark when God answers those prayers, whether it's in a few days or a few weeks or a few months or even years. And you can celebrate the way in which God has answered those prayers. And so I would even encourage you to take that sheet of paper and post it on the fridge, so that as a family you can see together what you are praying for. So that prayer becomes something that maybe even as you go to the to the refrigerator or the frit or the freezer to get some ice cream, that there in that moment, as you reach for something to satisfy your hunger, you can begin to pray a prayer so that to satisfy your soul. And begin to mark off and celebrate when God has answered prayers together. Guard your prayer in thanksgiving. The early Colossian believers were to be devoted to prayer and to guard their prayer in thanksgiving because Paul knew living out their faith was going to be difficult. It wasn't going to be something that came easily or naturally. But as their prayers Guarded in Thanksgiving would align their heart to God. They would be able to remember why they were doing what they were doing because God had not forgotten them. He listens to His people. And so, guard your prayer in Thanksgiving. Do something, put that list, put those prayer requests on the as your phone background or on that fridge so that you can be reminded that God is present, even in the chaos in the circumstances of our life. Sometimes we can get focused on those circumstances and be bogged down in the things that we know we should or ought to do, but we can be reminded that God is good, even when it seems like he is far off. And as Paul asks these Colossian believers to guard their prayers with thanksgiving. Paul makes an ask of them, of this Colossian church, that they would pray for him also. The heart of Paul is that those who are outside of God's family be united with Christ. That's what Paul wants. And Paul has done this through going into difficult places and starting new churches. And Paul wants to verbally share the mystery of Christ. And that phrasing may be familiar if you remember back to Colossians chapter 1. The mystery of Christ has been made known through Jesus. And if you are unfamiliar with some of that verbiage, I'd encourage you to go back to some of our old podcasts and listen to Colossians chapter one, about how the mystery of Christ has been made known and you can know who God is and what he has done for you. And so Paul uses this phrasing to go back to say that God planned to include all people. God planned to include all people into his family through a Messiah. And so Paul wants this to be made known that the Jesus who was unjustly crucified was raised from the dead and in his name there is both forgiveness and hope of everlasting life. The goal is not simply to make others aware of this news but to share it in such a way that those who are outside the family of God, the Gentiles, are brought into this new fictive fellowship of both Jews and Gentiles, that people from wildly different backgrounds and beliefs, from different experiences, from different outlooks on the world can be brought together to form a new family that shows the people of the world what it looks like to be reunited with the creator God and how that satisfies their souls and how that compels them to live in such a way to make a tangible difference in their world. That that this reunification with God doesn't simply stop with them, but compels them to care about those outside that forever family. See what was once given to Abraham as intended to be a blessing to the nations is underway in Paul's mission. Paul is passionate about expanding the family of God. So he targets specific groups of people to say you are wanted and welcome in God's family. And John and I are going to talk about this overarching mission that that throughout scripture that is present that shows up in Paul's unique mission. But at Generation Church we partake, we are a part of this mission. We want to expand the family of God. We want to specifically go to people who feel lost, feel alone, feel isolated, who feel like they should, should be united by a different set of identity or group. Think and say that the only thing that will satisfy your soul is Jesus. And honestly, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You are welcome and wanted as a part of God's family. And even for some of you who are listening to this, who aren't followers of Jesus, and you are a little bit skeptical and say, I'm not sure I want to be a part of God's family. It doesn't seem like a, a family that's that's completely in harmony, a, a family that is completely united around the cause of Christ. And in fact, you may be looking at the church and say, man, I see all kinds of divisions. I see all kinds of different groups within the church and to that i would say that's exactly the point we have people from different backgrounds ethnicities groups people who believe wildly different things about the world in which we live in but we come together and to pursue jesus because he has satisfied and saved our souls And we want you to experience that same love, joy, peace, and patience that he has given to us. And we want to invite you to go on that journey with us, to very honestly say, we don't have all the answers. We haven't figured everything out, how that faith looks as we interact with the world around us, but we know that if we are first united with Jesus, that he will give us the wisdom and the way to interact within our world. And he shows us what it looks like to be truly human. And that's why we've called this series Embodied, because we know as we put our faith and trust in Jesus and go on a journey of following him, he will show us what it looks like to live in a way for how we were always meant to live. And this is a difficult task And this is why Paul asks for prayer. Paul is in chains for speaking this message. Paul confronts the idols and culture of the day and says that they must turn to Jesus rather than lesser powers. So hear this from me. As we we invite you to go on this journey of following Jesus, you will be asked to change. There will be pieces internally within your character that you will be confronted with, with the way of Jesus. There will be priorities in your life that you are convicted of, and you will be compelled to change as we look at the example of Jesus. And both Paul and Jesus, we see one speak to a pluralistic society where where there's all kinds of, of different ideas floating out in the marketplace of ideas. And another, like Jesus, he speaks to the religious entrenchment but both face the consequences for their proclamation that the only way to everlasting life is through Jesus. And it seems paradoxical that as they proclaim this good news, that there is hope, that there is joy, and that you can have peace in a time of anxiousness. Jesus was crucified, and Paul was thrown in jail. And in verse 4, Paul wants these believers to pray for clarity because Paul's proclamation will be disorienting. Those who are following Jesus, we can agree that that Paul is in the right way. We believe Jesus is worth following. But in the middle of this story of Paul's proclamation, it can be disorienting. We don't completely... The Colossian believers, those within that first century world, may have not completely believed that Paul's message was right and true because he found himself in prison. And it might have even been confusing because for Paul to be in prison, it would have been shameful in an honor-focused culture. Even his actions and situations would direct people to the right understanding of God. That's what Paul wants them to pray for, that his actions and situations would direct people to a right understanding of who God is. And the skeptic might go, how can he be right when he is in jail? And today, there might be a level of cynicism. Being cynical uh, means by believing people are motivated by self-interest. And this runs rampant because of there's a lack of clarity and trust has broken down. And it's disorienting. And you may be wondering, who do I trust? Even if your circumstances aren't ideal, Jesus is still to be trusted. And Paul was praying that in the midst of people looking at him in jail and wondering, Paul, is it worth it? Is this message right and true? Paul's saying, yes, it is. Devote yourselves to prayer. Guard your prayer in thanksgiving and pray for me so that I can make the message of Jesus clear. See, prayer leads to a passion for outsiders and a passion for outsiders prioritizes the gracious good news of Jesus. Here we see the final goal of what Paul has been building to. Paul says, act wisely, be wise. The emphasis is on morality reshaped by Jesus. It describes living in God's world in God's way. Your conduct is what's important. And he calls that out to these Colossian believers. And Paul has actually commended them for their faithfulness earlier in this letter to this church. But he is reminding them here that it is their conduct in the presence of the world which will point people to Jesus. The embodied faith of the Colossian church will give an accurate representation to those who have yet to surrender to following Jesus in their everyday lives. See, the, the core tenet, again, of the gospel, of that Jesus is king, that Jesus is the way to be reconciled to God is admitting that we can't do it on our own, that that any way contrary to following Jesus isn't okay, it's not right, and we have to admit that that is wrong, that, that we can't do it on our own, and thus we need to turn to Jesus and are willing to undergo change. We look at our character and our priorities and say, okay, I need to do something different. And in fact, even when we try to do something different by our own strength and our own power and our own might, we recognize that we can't do it. And we trust in Jesus and allow him to change us. And in fact, we must change. And This is why we have a value at our church, progress over perfection. See, you don't have to be perfect, We just want you to say yes to Jesus and allow him to change you and get brought into this new family and allow us to continue to make each other into more like Christ. And you will continue to change in your character and priorities. So do not give up. There's a line between the church and the world. Paul makes that clear. He says there are those who are inside, there are those who are in the family of God, and there are those who are outside the family of God. And the second piece of recommending to this church is that their relations with outsiders is to, they're to make the most of every opportunity. Early Christians were a minority group in a largely hostile world, and ill-judged attempts to assert their faith or impose it on others were not likely to be productive. Which is why Paul says, first look at your own character and your own conduct. And then at the appropriate time, you will be able to share your faith. For the way in which you live, you'll be able to give justification to it. And in fact, the early Christian ambrosia ambrosia says it this way. Paul therefore tells us that we should discuss religion at the right time and place and in great humility. And keep quiet if one of these people is shouting at us in public. We should behave one way towards the powerful, another way towards the middle class, another way towards those lower down the social scale. And yet another way to those who are gentle and another way to those who are irritable. Letting them be is redeeming the time. Because if you are to give way to someone who attacks the Lord's words or who rages because he is free to do so, you turn the insults of this unhappy experience into gain. The way in which we respond to people in our world must be tactful. It first starts in our character and and wise conduct and is manifested in our response. And so here you see is the interplay between you being personally changed by who Jesus is the context in which you find yourself in, and then the wisdom at the right moment for when it says, respond in this way or say it this way. That's the heart of what Paul wants these believers to understand. And in reality, he's been building this case throughout this letter to say, know Jesus. Orient your whole life around him. It'll show up in practical ways within the relationships, within your Life. And at the end of the day, if this has been true, if this has been consistent, you'll be a witness. You will properly display Christ to those who are outside the family of God. Prior to our time and our culture today, people have felt like they've had to have all the answers, that their church is not a safe place to express questions and doubts. And that the individual is free to be as they are and no change is necessary. And to each and every one of those points, what we look and what we see in the way in which Jesus and Paul commend their followers and Paul commends this Colossian church is that our followership of Jesus will provide us an opportunity to share our faith with others. And in fact, it necessitates us sharing our faith with others. And if this makes you nervous, if you are unsure of how to share your faith with others, good news for you. We designed a whole seven-part video series to help you on your journey get more comfortable with talking about your faith. And Paul always roots it in your individual conduct, your, your morals, that then gives you a platform at the right time, at the right moment, when it you've displayed something different than what the world has to offer to share your faith. Commentator Scott McKnight says this as we transition to verse 5 into verse 6. Walking wisely and maximizing one's life for the gospel is now clarified further and counters the all too easy to develop zeal, arrogance, polemics, polemics, arguments, and hot-headed diatribes with outsiders. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We have plenty of examples in our world today. When it's time to share our thoughts and our opinions, of talking past each other, of shouting each other down, of using a red herring in discussion to avoid humiliation. And Paul says, this is the way you should answer. Paul doesn't even discuss the what you should say. He says the how, that we should be filled with grace. Our words should be seasoned with salt. And we don't know what others standing with, with God is. So we should be mindful that as we talk to people, we should not assume that their standing with God is right, but we should always be prepared to season our response and in our conversation with grace and with humility and point rightly to how Jesus changes and transforms our life and in the culture in which we live in. Paul wants their speech to be Kind, considerate, forgiving, and patient, as he has said earlier in Colossians chapter 3. Paul's intent here is not simply civility, but knowing knowing how to respond to outsiders with good news. This is the saltiness, responding differently than the world. In a moment of tension, in a moment of opportunity, not simply glossing over the opportunity, but being poignant and pointing to Jesus. And if you want to get better at the what, of how to point to the gospel, of the, the good news that Jesus lived a perfect life, died the death for all, and was raised to life victoriously, and is coming back, and how that news changes the way in which you look at the world and the way in which we look at the world, that I want to just point you to two quick Resources that will help you share this good news, and will help you listen to the narratives of our culture and our world, and be able to rightly identify: is this some aspect where you can point them to Jesus? The first is the Gospel Primer by Caesar Kalinowski, and the second is Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstel. And I've used that word "gospel" several times, and even in the title of those two books, that word is there. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus lived that perfect life, died the death on the cross, that we deserve to pay the penalty that we owe God for rebelling against him and was raised to life victoriously. And we can have access to God through faith in Jesus and Jesus King and Lord of all. And so when you have the temptation to fight To prove your point, to scream, to yell, to say, Hell with you and to the world. Just give me Jesus. We forsake the most important part of Jesus' ministry. No one is too far gone. Don't give up on people, don't give in, don't cave to the pattern of our world, to size people up and to write them off, to call them names, no one is too far gone. In fact, you might be just three feet away from them saying yes to Jesus. if you are watching this and you haven't been a follower of Jesus, it's never too late to start the journey. If you've been on a journey and you aren't sure you're ready to go back down the path of following Jesus, let me just encourage you, don't give up. In fact, you are welcome and wanted at Generations Church, and we would love to go on that journey with you. This is a safe space to ask questions, to sit down and have conversation, to look at God's word with us, and to filter through what it looks like to live in God's world, God's To have a group of people who will say, we might understand that you're different, that you think different than us, but that's okay. We want to work for your good. Let's go on this journey together. Even when it's difficult and you find the church or the world frustrating, you may be merely three feet from gold. We want to get to know you and your story. And those of you who are a part of Generations Church, You've got people in your life that you've been tempted to write off. Let me just encourage you. Don't give up. Persevere. Devote yourself to prayer. To care for them and others. And as you care for others, may your words and your actions always point back to the character and priorities of Jesus.